Thanks for downloading this podcast from City Church Leeds. You join us as we're journeying through the book of John. We hope that it blesses, encourages and inspires you. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus arrived, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away. And a considerable number of the Jews had gone out to see Martha and Mary, to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary remained sitting in the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha replied, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I myself am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in and relies on me, although he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever continues to live and believes in, has faith in, cleaves to and relies on me, shall never actually die at all. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed. I do believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. Even he who was to come into the world It's for your coming that the world has waited Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. 
Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been there, my brother would not have died. When, Mary saw, when Jesus saw her weeping and, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept, kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, by now the smell will be terrible because he's been dead for four days. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I love how dramatic and amazing our church is. You all read that so beautifully. Thank you. Real sort of emphasis on really key parts. So because I sort of flip in and out of all those verses, I, I, didn't, I thought it made more sense if you heard it all um, first. It's always good to hear God's word, isn't it? So, yeah. So John's gospel, which we've been looking at for the last um, couple of weeks, um, is written really different from the other synoptic gospel, gospels, so Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Um, it looks more at the context and the focus and the style, um, it, it looks more at um, the overall kind of events and their significance than covering every detail of Jesus' life and ministry, but looks at the insight and the eternal plan of what, what is happening. Even in the beginning of the gospel, it doesn't go into what happened blow by blow in Jesus' birth, but at what the relevance is and the consequences for us. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that could have been made. In him is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, he didn't go, Jesus was born in a stable, but what he gives us is what that means for us, what the eternal picture is and where it places it, Jesus into creation. He didn't just appear, he has always been and always will be, and he is something really significant. Um, <laughs> thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> the events of John are chosen with a purpose and relevance, and as we study them, we need to uncover the layers of truth and relevance to us. 
So then looking at this story of the resurrection of Lazarus, we see a picture of what is going to come for Jesus' journey. But Jesus' resurrection comes with a promise of life and fullness for humanity, not just, the death, not just in death, but in life now. Jesus is the key for living life to the max, not based on promises of the world, but living with our focus on Jesus' hope and love. There are many complex, like I studied theology for three years, and, and things that we just sing and say quite freely, people have spent 2,000 years debating and pulling apart and trying to work out. And one of those things is how the divine and human works in the miracles of Jesus. And um, so I, I've had lots of theories about that, and, and so I, think, I think I did about two years of just looking at that pretty much on its own. And... Um, it wasn't until I read Bill Johnson's book, um, well, I haven't read all of it, I shouldn't claim to read something I haven't read all of, but um, Heaven Invades Earth, where he talks about how Christ himself could not do miracles in and of himself. The way he does the miracles is in his human state, reliant on the Holy Spirit. And to me, that really freed me from thinking that actually I, Jesus was something that I couldn't touch and do. The things he does are for him. He says we are going to do greater things because we have the full reliance of the Holy Spirit. And um, the, it, the, what Bill Johnson points out is that Jesus was completely um, free of sin. And he was in complete relationship with the Father. And so that was why he could do these amazing things. And he says we have those access to that too because when we um, free ourselves from sin, when we seek forgiveness, and when we are in complete reliance of the Holy Spirit, then we have that same power. It isn't something that was just for Jesus, but we have it too. So really, that means that this miracle of Lazarus is not just something Jesus could do, it's something we could do, which kind of blows my mind and scares me a little bit, but also is a bit of a challenge, because I don't feel like I could do that right now. I don't know about you. So that means those two things I can't be doing quite right. I can't be completely reliant on the Holy Spirit, and I can't be completely free from sin. So those two things are something that I personally need to be challenged, that I, I immerse myself more in the Holy Spirit, that I'm reliant on him, that I'm not reliant on the money I have, or my husband's, or my home, or my church even, but actually my reliance needs to be on the Holy Spirit. So in this miracle we see here, relationship is key, isn't it? we see that he's completely reliant on the Holy Spirit and God, his Father, and that Trinity, that relationship. Um, but we also see different relationships Jesus has. So it won't surprise many of you that I quite like the women in this story. They're pretty cool. And, uh, and what, I, what we see, again, is the disciples are a bit clueless, aren't they? Again, they don't really get what Jesus is talking about when he talks about sleep, even though in, in the context they're in, sleep does pretty much mean death. It's used as a metaphor in the Greek and the Hebrew. And um, they also don't really get that Jesus has the power to do what he's about to do. Yet, when Jesus encounters Martha and Mary, they both get it. They both get who Jesus is and what he's going to do. Um, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now, God, you will give me whatever you ask. Uh, God will give you whatever you ask. She gets who Jesus is, and she has faith in him. Again, one of the most clear statements declared by Martha in response to Jesus' statement of the resurrection, in verses 25 to 27, she says, uh, he says, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will, will never die. 
Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Now, when we look through the Gospels, quite often, Jesus doesn't outwardly say, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. They call it the Messianic Secrets. And there's very few places a statement of faith like that. There's one to Peter, and there's this one. I can't remember if there's any more, but they're very rare. So the fact that she's got this and Jesus has declared it in such an open way is a really significant event. Um, And the disciples, being confused, again, as I say, by what they mean by sleep and what Jesus is going to do, kind of, you know, they they love Jesus, don't they? But they, they seem a bit lost quite a lot of the time. Yet, um, I read that when they declare that they would die at this point, um, that was normally only reserved for, you know, in the, in the Jewish culture, you only declared you would die for someone else in, in the relationship with God. So the fact that they're saying they're going to die at this point does show that maybe they're getting who this rabbi is they're following. They're beginning to see that he is someone to die for. Um, so um, the body, when there's lots of ceremony things to do with the body dying and, and this sort of process of grieving, um, was completely wrapped. So like the, all the limbs were wrapped together and even the mouth so they couldn't open it when they died. <laughs> so Lazarus was completely wrapped up like this. So in verse 33, when Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go, what that significance to me is, is obviously he's literally bound, but he's been bound in death, hasn't he? And when he's released, when it says, let him go, he's, getting, he's being released from the grips of death. And we have the access to this resurrection in now, in baptism, and in death for eternal life. And death has been part of the, the world since Adam and Eve um, fell. Um, there's that saying, isn't there? There's nothing more certain than death and taxes. And I'm sure we've all felt that kind of loss when someone's died or, you know, I think you feel lost in lots of ways, but death is a really profound loss for us, isn't it? Even though um, we believe that there is eternal uh, resurrection and, and, you know, we believe that, there's a sense of lost person, isn't there, when someone comes from our life and and we miss them personally. But what I think is really significant about the way Jesus responds in this is he's experienced a human reaction. He experiences the loss with Martha and Mary. He grieves it, even though he knows what he's about to do. He grieves and he, it says he weeps with those in verse 35. And so although I think that not every, I don't think we can say everything that happens in the world that is, is evil or wrong or sad um, has an eternal purpose because I don't believe God does things like that just, just to sort of make a point. But in, in this instance, you know, obviously it is glorifying God. But even though things occur, suffering occurs without that eternal purpose, I do think we can be assured that Jesus is with us in our grieving, in our loss, that he does weep with us, that he's not unmoved by it. So I'm going to go on to sort of, um, yeah. A lot of scholars, and and again, this is a quite strong theology if you look at different um, strands of theology, that because Jesus um, and God, if God is all-powerful, and unmovable, and is forever, and doesn't change, then he can't really, according to some scholars, experience suffering or pain. And for me, that isn't an option, really. 
Um, so I have a bit of a quote. It says, in all respects, non-temporal, which means eternal, unchanging, which means immutable, unaffected by the world. That's kind of what a lot of scholars think of God, that he can't be changed, he can't move. If he's really God, he can't do those things. So they sort of say it almost appears that he suffers on the cross. But um, I've looked quite closely at a, a guy called uh, Jürgen Moltmann. I don't know if I'm saying that quite right, so I'm very sorry. He looks a bit like Ronnie Corbett, if you've ever seen a picture of him. Um, <laughs> and he's uh, from Germany. He was born in 1926. He was part of the war but surrendered um, quite quickly and spent most of his, the war in an English um, prison of war camp. But he was so affected by the Second World War, its horrific nature and the Holocaust, that he looked to theology to try and balance what he felt this suffering you know, how could God have let this suffering happen, and what, what, what does it mean? And so he spent a long time um, developing um, some theology and, and looking at these events and, and what it meant. <clears throat> so Maltman devo- developed a philo- theology of hope, of eternal foundation that focuses on ho- hope being coming from the resurrection, um, and a liberation theology that sort of Jesus, Jesus and God suffer with humanity. They don't, they're not distant from it, they're not far from it, but they're in it. And um, he looks at the cross and how salvation works, and he thinks that the divine and the human side of God must have suffered at that moment for it to be salvific. So to bring salvation, for those things to happen, the divine and the human would have to suffer. And he um, talks about how in John 3.16, which very, you know, it's, it's one of the most quotable Bible verses, I would have said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He calls this kinetic. I'm very sorry if any of these words I said wrong. But, um, and he says, this is an expression of sacrifice, which means emptying yourself. So at that moment when Jesus died on the cross, he emptied himself of all that he was to bring salvation. And then he says in John 4.16, it says, God is love, which is God giving of himself. Moulton argues that restoration of humanity, the human and divine, had to suffer on the cross to bring salvation. And to me, that's really important because we quite often say these things in songs. We sang loads of songs today that I think really clearly depicted Jesus' suffering. And for me, for Jesus to suffer is really important. It, because it, it is that emptying of self, it's that choice. It doesn't mean he's not God. It doesn't mean that he stops being eternal, that he stops in that moment being the ultimate, amazing creator that he is. But it does mean that he has chosen, which is amazing, isn't it? He has chosen to empty himself of all those things and put himself on that cross. And to me, that, that makes that sacrifice mind-blowing. And, and means that he can relate to me in my suffering. And he does care about people who are trafficked and who are in poverty right now and who are in war and who are being sacrificed in all different ways. And, and to me, that means that he is with us. So Maltman's theology, Emmanuel, God is with us, shows a powerful picture of how he doesn't just look on our suffering unmoved, but partakes in our suffering in a real and powerful way. God is still perfect, he's still all-powerful, but he chooses to be vulnerable because God is love. He empties himself to bring restoration to us all. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see the cost of this, don't we? In the previous chapter, people have tried to seize him, 
and in the next chapter, people plot to kill him. People fear to lose the power they think they have. Human nature is to protect what we feel is ours and to be self-seeking and look at our ego. Those in authority see influence and power Jesus carries and they're scared of it and they plot to end his life. <clears throat> what is the cost of the ministry you have? We all have ministries, don't we? Like, we might think it's to the people who are employed or in certain positions, but all of us have a calling and um, a, a mission to, to take on. Where do you recognize the places of influence? Where do you take up your cross and follow him? And quite often I think, I'm holding it now, I sort of fiddle with it. Quite often we look at a cross like this, don't we? It's full of diamonds and it's precious, it's beautiful. Or we look at it as something that's put on the side of a building or it's a symbol we see a lot. But in truth, it's a cross that is rough and is painful and is covered in blood. It is a messy and painful thing. As a, I tried to find it, and I found it very hard to find, but um, Julian of Norwich, who was um, a mystic of the uh, medieval, she, she um, was a bit of a hermit, and she did lots of reflections, and she had this amazing image of this really ornate cross. It was covered in jewels, and it was just so beautiful. As she looked closer, she saw it was actually wood, and it was rough, and it was, it was dripping in blood. And so often we look at the jewels and not at the roughness of the cross. When we think of that saying, pick up your cross, it's not one that is light and easy to carry. It's one that's difficult and costs us a lot. So we're moving forward as a, as a congregation, aren't we? We've, we feel that God's calling us to East End Park. And um, I'm really excited about this. <laughs> I don't know if any of you may have noticed, but I am. I think, uh, I think it's going to be amazing, not just for that community, but for us. I think that it's going to change who we are, and I think it's going to move us forward as a congregation. And um, I think it's a family as well. I think we have to be more reliant on each other and in greater relationship. And um, as we look, look forward to that, I want us to think about where our, our mission fields are, where God is placing us. So I know that we're not all going to be completely in Eastern Park all the time. I understand that. So... Where is God placing you in your homes, and your communities, in your families? But then I do think, as a congregation, we have a joint responsibility to where we're going. And that if we don't do that, it's not going to make a significant impact. That actually, we all need to think about what that's going to mean for us. What are we going to sacrifice to make a difference in that community? And, um, yeah, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of how exciting it really could be. Like me and Ben were in the car yesterday and we were just redreaming really about what God's going to do, what, what we could do in Eastern Park and how it could change it. And I think, although I, I think there is a balance, and I understand my balance is slightly different because I live there. So part of those is already ticked, isn't it? You know, like I live there, so that's my home and my community and where church is going to be. So I get that. I get that not for all of us that's going to be the case. But I do think we need to think about how each one of us is going to play a role in what we're going to see in East End Park. And um, just an example of this, really, was... Um, it wasn't in East End Park, it was in Beeston. I work in Beeston. I don't know how many of you know that area. But it's, um, it's pretty poor, in all honesty. It has a lot of problems. And it's a really big area. And there's a lot of churches there working together. And we did an event on, on Friday night, a Lantern Festival. 
and in the park, Crossfats Park. And um, I think in the past, it's had a real reputation of being quite a dangerous place, Crossfats Park. And I think it still has an element of that. But I think probably all parks do a little bit. You're not meant to go in parks at night, are you? But you definitely would not go in Crossfats Park at night. And uh, so what we did on, on Friday was we lit all the paths with lanterns. But every metre, there was a lantern. We had several hundred lanterns. We had fairy lights on all the trees. We had a great big Christmas tree. We had animals. We had uh, different activities and things for people to do. And we sang carols. And it was amazing. In that place of darkness, we brought light. And to me, I think, what could we do in Eastern Park? You know, next Christmas, what could we be doing in Eastern Park? What could we do be doing to show the light of Jesus when he comes into the world? What could we bring as a congregation? Because do you know what? You've all got so much to bring. You've all got so much to give. God shines so radiantly through you. And if we can share that to people who don't know anything about God, what could that do? Cool, it's exciting. Um, <laughs> so um, so as, we, as we look at the rough wooden manger that the baby lies in, who one day would be nailed to a rough wooden cross to suffer so that we might join him in salvation, what are you prepared to offer him? What would taking up your cross cost you? Do you need greater relationship with him to be wholly reliant on his spirit so that you can raise people from the dead, heal the sick, speak in the spirit? Do you need to look at where you serve and love and ask God where his heart is in it? Whatever God is speaking to you, I just want you to spend, we're just going to watch uh, the video. Um, we've, I know we've already seen Mary, did you know? But I think so often Christmas just does become a bit of a, glittery blur of different things and and for me Mary did you know is such a powerful song because it relates the the crib to the cross in a way that just I think is amazing and when you think of Mary holding that baby she's holding God do you know what I mean it's it's God with us and so as we look at this video I really want you to try and reflect on on where God's placed you and where he's asking you just to give a bit more um, and that be your peace, your offering, your presence um, this Christmas to Jesus, what you're going to offer at the baby's feet. Mary, my betrothed, you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen and the sweetest smile. Don't be afraid. I'm the Lord's servant. Help us! Please! Lady... I believe your son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? His name is Jesus. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our son? And daughters, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby? 
give sight to the blind man. Peter, where's my son? Your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand. Didn't you know that your baby boy has walked where angels try? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.